Hello. Hello, guys. Uh, I'm David Bly. I'm Nick Chivarella. And this is You Had Your Chance, podcast where we talk with filmmakers about movies, the movie industry, specifically about a movie that our filmmakers have always wanted to watch but have never gotten around to see it. They've maybe lied about having seen it. They've mm-hmm. maybe just watched a little bit and said, I'll get back to this. Or they think they may just kind of get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how a lot of movies are with me. Yeah. I'm just like, eh, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get the gist. Polly Shore is doing what? Polly Shore is a classic. I'm sure it's a bubble. Classic. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you gotta do that one. Yeah. Um, but today we have an amazing filmmaker. Marina Mitchelson is here with us today. Welcome. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and today we are going to be doing something a little nasty. It's a pretty scary movie. And if you're a fan of squealing, then keep listening. Child's play. <laughs> That's the movie we watched. <laughs> um Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having in me. Sunny Los Angeles, California. I love nothing more than talking about movies. Yeah. So. Speaking of which, you're a filmmaker. I am. Um, please share with us and the listeners all the amazing things that you've been doing sure. in the film industry. Sure. Um, I am a writer, director, and actor. I went to NYU, um, and I started making films after I was in my first feature. And like, I just loved the process so much. And it was like a really ragtag 17 day shoot in the middle of the night in like Jackson Heights. Um, But I just had a blast. (laughs) And I remember as soon as production was over, like not not being involved anymore Mm. and realizing that like I was no longer part of the process and feeling crushed and immediately made plans to make my first short film. Amazing. That's great. It kind of feels like a jip because you're like, oh, I'm part of the thing, yeah. part of the thing, and then you're like, bye, yes, Here's, enjoy, goodbye. we're yeah. gonna go make this thing now, and you're like, wait, <laughs> yeah, and we'll show it to you in like a year or two, right, from yeah. right, right, and you might be cut or you might, like, yeah. especially you're... something that's like so thrilling and potentially life changing and totally. collaborative, and so to like not get to keep going along mm-hmm. was crushing. Did you uh, bring on a lot of people that you had worked with on the Jackson Heights? production for your film or was it people that you just like randomly met no they were like professionals you know i had just like graduated college and this was like a real movie you like auditioned got them got the part gotcha got it okay um and it was still you know an indie film right but it was like it was you know i had literally just i hadn't even walked yet for graduation um that was my judgment right there i think i owe an apology to jackson heights i feel like i made jackson (laughs) heights seem like a community that doesn't get big productions. Like, no, it was, just it was like, the coolest. Apologies to Jackson Heights. Queens people. is Jackson the coolest. Heights is coming back after Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> I bet you none of us could afford to live in Jackson Heights at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The way New York is going. Um, I was on Park. That's where we're all heading. Yeah. Yeah. That's what airport. happened with me, though. Like, when we, I, because I did acting for a bit for a time, and I felt like I didn't like being at the behest of everybody else. I didn't like being constantly having to be the one who was selected to, to, and then finally you get selected and then you're done and you just have zero power. You just have no control over the cool part of filmmaking or storytelling in general. I mean, you do, you have a part of, you have control over your part of storytelling, Mm -hmm. but like the bigger picture is completely out of your hands. Yeah. Yeah. Only to a degree. I mean, and now I'm actually toying with sometimes not directing, like just acting again after having only been, you know, at the head of my projects for so long. And that's, it's a whole other experience to like, okay, I am just a piece in this puzzle. Mm-hmm. I'm not overseeing it and, you know, less power, less responsibility. Sure. Um, and there's, it, there's a flip side to both Definitely. coins. 
Yeah, that's true. Would that in a perfect world be performing in random productions that you're like auditioning for or productions that like friends are doing mm -hmm. so you're still working with people that you are close with? Either like either way, I just yeah. I'm, I'm doing a play. I just got a part in a play, and oh, that cool. is a lot of that experience right now is being like, whoa, I am just a piece of this puzzle. Totally. Um, and trying to balance being a part of this production while going at home and working on whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I like performing regardless. You know, acting is my pathway mm -hmm. into directing and filmmaking. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I think that continuing a practice in acting just keeps you really empathetic and connected to people and. Um, I think it's like a crucial part. I think it's w one of my particular skills as a director is mm -hmm. working with actors. Yeah. Um, but so you kind of have to keep, if that's what you're good at as yeah. a filmmaker, you have to keep honing that. And that means, you know, ideally not being in class, but like acting in plays or working on other people's films totally. and whatnot. Can you talk a little bit about the first sort of time you decided, like after that film that you were a part of, to decide to kind of make your own thing? And the like amazing hide. Jackson Heights experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you to the people of Jackson Heights for just making huge. You guys have been practice. a huge contributors to the success of this podcast, and we love you all, Jackson Heights. Uh, no, but just like, yeah, how that got started, like what that project was. Yeah, you know, we didn't really know what it was. We mm -hmm. just started going. We so. I decided that like, okay, I wanted to make films, so I needed a partner. And my my best friend and I, Meryl, um, I like enlisted her and we decided that we were going to have a company together called Meryl and Marina. Lovely. That's as far as we got with the name. <laughs> M&M, got it. And we just, we decided that we needed to like introduce what we were doing as a company. And so we started to write this film and like we didn't even know what it was but the concept was uh, it was called the secret garden it's like about a girl who walking on the street and gets bumped into by a girl who's like riding a bike or something okay. and she drops something and keeps going and then the girl's like oh i want to give you you know your whatever little mirror yeah and so she follows her and it leads her into this like weird secret garden and she follows her up into a tree and it's kind of a sweet little weird oh, cool. friendship cool. story but we didn't really know what we were doing we just kind of like mm -hmm. we're trying to introduce our partnership came up with this story um i don't know maybe got like a thousand dollars together to rent equipment and yeah. Uh, did you like ask friends to help out and that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we asked um, two friends. We, we were in the theater department, but we asked mm -hmm. some friends from the film department um, to direct. And, you know, our boyfriends kind of produced and PA'd and did everything. And yeah, it was all friends. I mean, only my last movie was like the first time I was working with not friends, like that I had hired, that I had had people hire people yeah. who I didn't know. This is Biophilia. Biophilia. Yeah. yeah. I want, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like sure. how that came to be and how that became the first, sort of first project that you were able to like hire people to like make and everything? Yeah. I was just obsessed with this idea for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading, do you know Michael Pollan? He's like a big food writer. He yeah. wrote this book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Yeah. I'm really into food and thinking about food. You know, we were just talking about the farmer's market. Yeah. Um, so I had gotten obsessed with just this reading this book and there's this passage in the book where he has he learns to um hunt a a hog like a wild pig. Oh wow. And the reading about his experience was just like so visceral and ha him having to like learn how to use the gun and then how to like learn how to track and how to be quiet. And, you know, there's like he misses the first time and, and he goes away and he like doesn't get it doesn't work out that time. And then a few months later, he comes back and the experience of him just like reading this paragraph of when he shoots 
the hog and yeah. it dies. And then there's like this practice in hunting where you take a picture with your kill yeah. and him describing that moment of taking that picture of like feeling just this mix of like pride. Pride that you succeeded, but also like what have I done? Yeah. Yeah. And gratitude. And just like that's not just, common. Just I feel thinking like about pictures. this image was so captivating to me. So that was really my first spark in making this movie. And I just became obsessed with this idea of yeah. like hunting what it is you eat. And I would like ask people at like I'd be at dinner parties <laughs> and I'd be like, would you kick the, would you kill this chicken if you had to that we're eating? <laughs> And it is not just, really great I'm party just enjoying talk. Enjoying my chicken, <laughs> um, Marina. Can I sit over here? Yeah. <laughs> Salad for dinner tonight. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know. I just became obsessed. I wrote a script. I kept thinking about it. Um, I happened to have this piece of land that was at my disposal where um, my best friend Meryl got married, and it was like this just gorgeous, like seven hundred acre wild property in West Marin County, which Mm -hmm. is just north of San Francisco. Wow! And the first time I got to this property was to help her with her wedding. On my way in, I was like driving into the property and it's 30 miles off, 30 minutes off of like the main road, 45 minutes from town. Mm -hmm. As I was driving, I saw a three foot owl at the side of the road, which is a real thing like this big. I thought I was crazy, but there were people in the car with me who saw it too. And I just realized I was going to this magical property wow oh, a three-foot owl i can't believe that's a real thing yeah man i'm gonna be on the wikipedia was that a child in a co- was it on halloween was it a child in a costume owl. A toddler no, man. Man. Someone I, I mean as soon as it got to the house was, was it a toddler in an owl costume that's what i'm thinking Let's say two think, child i think it, might it was in the middle of the night i mean what was this toddler in an owl costume doing at the side of the road i mean you didn't have my childhood i guess <laughs> 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 gotta get that candy gotta get that gotta t- get tootsie pop year round <laughs> just knocking on doors in owl costumes yeah that's awesome yeah um so that's really it so that is a good segue into the film that we chose and the film that you probably you know were interested in in uh so why don't we why don't you go ahead and introduce kind of the film that you wanted to subject us to yeah the film you've always (laughs) wanted to see why that was maybe like something you wanted to to check out yeah so uh the film that we chose to watch is deliverance Mm -hmm. um i had never seen it even though i had like heard enough about it to think that i knew what it was about sure um i was convinced it was a horror movie it's not a horror movie i would say it's a thriller but i was really scared going into it Mm. because i thought that it was going to be a horror movie not like Halloween or something like that, but you thought it was going to be. Yeah, I just had slasher. This, yeah, well, not slasher. Like in the woods, not people slasher. just I, like chasing them. I just thought it was going to be gory and vicious and disgusting and scary. Yeah. Well, would you? I mean, how would you classify in horror a horror movie? Because like I could, I could make a case that it kind of is a horror. I, film. I'm with you. Sure. I'm with you. That's like why I kind of think horror. that what I love about horror is that I think that there's it's like a really wide net in sure. terms of what. Yeah. And and people are scared of different things, right? Supernatural horror doesn't scare me. Mm. Like, sure. I'm not scared of the devil. Yeah. I'm not scared <laughs> of like ghosts and goblins necessarily. Right. But I'm like totally scared about like getting I don't know, caught by these hillbillies oh, yeah, totally. on the river and yeah. I mean, raped. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a horrifying thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There are fewer things scarier. <laughs> I'd also be terrified just being friends with Burt Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. It looks like none of them like him. 
Well, Ed's kind of obsessed with him. John Voight was it's like weird. obsessed with yeah. him. He was so intense. Also, what did he do for a living? Did we find out? Yes. Yes. The, I, I looked this up. I looked it Which up one too. are you talking so, uh, uh, Lewis, uh, Burt Reynolds. He was uh, a landlord. Landlord. He's a landlord. Yeah. Come on. So this is a guy. Like, what are the keys? I feel like. Not at all. Do, do you guys agree that this is a character who wants to be... But he knows how to shoot an arrow. That's the other thing. Because like at first I was like, okay, this guy is full of shit. This guy is just like talking at people, explaining to them how the world works. And like yeah. and, and just like alpha-ing alpha himself to everyone. Totally. But then you see him shoot a fish with an arrow. And you're like, oh, he knows what he's kind of doing a little bit. Well, uh, that scene... I mean, this is a classic. And I would just want to like... The point of this podcast is these movies are great. And these mm-hmm. movies are fantastic. And we're not going to roast them. But he was also standing right above that fish. He missed it once, and then he basically just went right up to the fish's head and then just shot right. it. So it was like... So we think that this guy is kind of like a wannabe. I think the point of Lewis's character is that he is the guy who wants to be one with nature, and he thinks he can hack it, right? He thinks he can he hack it. He thinks he can hack it. And so, and because he pr- presents with this kind of bravado, mm-hmm. right, this hyper-alpha masculinity, everybody else kind of follows, right? And they want to be... They feel protected by him. And he's nothing like his three friends and i think that's probably why he hangs out with them is because he gets to be the one who's like more alpha than them and they like he he needs that validation like the napoleon complex where like his friends just think he's the survival expert when they're just like one of them works in the soda industry Mm -hmm. one of them's like an advertising guy so it's like I get to be the tough guy around these dweebs. Mm-hmm. I, I love this kind of character, this survivalist character. I mean, yeah. to go back, this is what really attracted me mm-hmm. to this movie is that I love nothing more than a man versus nature story. Mm-hmm. This, it's just like, I don't know why, but I'm so hooked by this idea of testing yourself or like trying to challenge nature and coming out on top. Mm-hmm. And that's what this character is all about. Yeah. And I think that we're living, I mean... It's interesting that it's, you know, this movie is, what, 50 years old? Gosh, yeah. is it? Is it? No, 72? 72, so it's 40 years old. 40, 40, 40 46 years old. Almost 50 years old. Yeah. Um, and we're still, this is like a hyper-American theme, right? Rugged individualism, trying to hack it in nature, going yeah. into the wild and conquering the wild. I mean, the movie's also framed by this interesting device about the, the dam that's being built. Yeah. And how this... Right, man's coming in and erasing this whole wild mm-hmm. section of the river to build yeah. a dam. Yeah, conquer this river before it gets destroyed. Yeah, yeah. this inconquerable river where all the like hillbillies are like, you shouldn't go there. Like yeah. this will kill you. Right. Even the the folk, the locals, the yeah. local folk are like, well, why you won't fuck around with that yeah. river yeah. over yeah. and over again? Yeah, yeah. You're right. And like, it's the mightiest river in the land. Yeah. They tell it. It's like, don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, so like. When you guys were watching this, and you had seen this, David. I had seen it, yeah, a long time ago. Okay, so did you feel like they were getting in over their heads, like, before they kind of, the adventure started? Like, or did you take it that way? Or did you take it like, maybe this is something that you would still do? Like, this would be kind of like a fun adventure to do? Or do you think, like, this is a bad idea from the start? Yeah, like, what did you think? I thought it was a bad idea from the start. You did? Come on, that creepy banjo kid, right? As right. soon as they, as soon as the song's over, and it's like this fun song, you think it's going to be a good time that they're going to like yeah. get to hang with the hillbillies. As soon as the song's over, he goes to shake his hand, and the kid like refuses and looks away. And suddenly, it's like this weird. Yeah. You you could tell something's weird about the, this town and these people. What yeah. did you make about that moment? Like, why do you think that that was it a boy or a child <laughs> or like a child or a man? I have no idea. It was like a creepy. creepy. He's the creepiest thing about yeah. that movie, man. Yeah, yeah. like when he's standing on that bridge, just like swinging. What the hell, the, man? The, the the banjo. 
It's See, like he are, had never seen another person in the in yeah. his entire life and was just like, what? It was is like a different happening? animal to them. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Totally. He's probably only seen his local folk yeah. who yeah. are a very different beast altogether. He's a perfect horror character to me. Totally. And that was a perfect that horror kid. scene, like yeah. going under the river and like him staring, yes. like with the, with the swinging, like you're yeah. saying. Like with there the are there are there are a lot of like I feel horror elements to this mm-hmm. to this. And I, to to your point earlier, I think horror is like this wide casting net, which I love because we watched what is like completely like going off the rails, but we watched the thing recently and I was like, I guess this is a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, is it a horror? And like, what makes a horror movie? And I think that's like always a really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think I would be comfortable classifying this just as a horror, just because like it, it it is horrifying film. Yeah. Definitely horrifying man versus man. It's man versus nature and it's man versus themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you got three crazy conflicts going on in this movie. Um, Directed by John Borman, mm-hmm. written by James Dickey, starring mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds, John Voight, mm-hmm. uh, Ronnie Beattie. Cox, Ned Beatty. And let's give some spoilers because you had your chance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ronnie Cox, Drew, dies. Yes. He dies mm-hmm. in the water. He, he jumps off the, the boat. And Yeah, what about that moment, wild. right? Yeah, Weird. that was interesting because I actually was questioning. I watched this with my wife and I was like, wait. He didn't get shot, did he? Did he get shot? I don't think so. No, he did not get shot. shot No, because they found him. They no, they did. He. I don't. I think we're led to believe that he did not. Yeah, but at the moment they checked his body. They checked his face, and it's like, is there a hole? No, there could be one. And Lewis was the one screaming that he had gotten shot, right? Because he wanted to. He was spinning the story, right? Right. They had started to get in this habit of we have to get on the same page immediately. And and Drew Ronnie Cox could not do it. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I've just been a part of killing a person. I I have to die. I have to like commit seppuku. I have to take myself out of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. You're- no, I just, I mean, like they don't make movies like this anymore, no. right? With no. this intense of drama. Right. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, you know, another reason that I really liked this movie. And I think that it's why people were recommending it to me is that it's like this like high moral tale, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also really grotesque and violent and strangely beautiful because yeah. it's on this set on this gorgeous river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the kind of the care, the way they um, oppose the characters is really amazing. You know, you have like Lewis who yeah. is this toxic alpha mm-hmm. male versus Drew. Who's like the guitarist. He's like a civil man. He believes mm-hmm. in law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And connects with the locals through music. Like mm-hmm. there was that connection. Until like the music stopped. Yeah, someone says he was the best of them. John Voight, when he's yes. like tossing yeah. his Loved body, he was like he's, he was the best of us. Because I did, you know, it, to point that out was like so very clear. Like absolutely, he was. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And then you have um, Bobby, who's the victim of the mm-hmm. crime, and yeah. is also the most condescending, right, towards the the locals when they first get there. He's constantly like he's the first to turn his back on them. Yeah. And then John Voight, who's kind of uh, to me was like the moral point of view is every time you were watching, you would like see him and then his perspective, it was like him trying to figure out what to do. What was the right sure. way? It was he was the deciding vote, even though there were four. Of them. Yes. I feel like his character was the, was our lens. Like mm-hmm. yeah. he was the, like, cause you, when that scene happened, when they were trying to figure out what to do after the man got shot by mm-hmm. Lewis, I legitimately didn't know which direction I would have fallen either. Like sometimes when I watch those scenes where it's like, do we tell somebody? Do you don't? You're like, of course you tell somebody. Like, but I was genuinely worried too. Like if I was in that situation, absolutely there was like the locals of that town seeing what happened there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very likely would have 
Yeah. Something terrible would have happened. They said like they're the cousins of right. this guy. It's like if you're on a jury, if, if you're going to court for this, their cousins are in that jury. They'll convict you. Absolutely. Even though he raped Ned yeah. Beatty and made yeah. him squeal like a pig. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I was completely, and then I thought John Voight's character, that's what made me think that. Because like John Voight in that scene, he's like, he is deciding and mm-hmm. he ultimately does go the other direction. Yeah. And you can't, I can't blame them really. Yeah. Because then it's also like, well, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Sure. They go... Like, who very likely might not come back. This is, like, right. before DNA, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> would this what... make you guys feel better if I just said that I would absolutely be in Lewis's camp? Would it make you both feel like, okay, I can be honest. Like, I would also, like, my instinct, bury the body? My instinct would, to be, would be with, to be with Lewis as well. Yeah. But that's not to say that I wouldn't have Drew's conflict. Sure. Right? Because absolutely. at the end of the day, I'd be more afraid of trying, uh, of getting caught by those fucking hillbillies. Do you think that maybe Drew felt that way also because he wasn't there? Yes. Yeah. And maybe I mean, he's at the like, end of the day, like these two had just been assaulted. Like Bobby yeah. had just been yeah, assaulted. Yeah, and they were just like, screw it, right? Like we need to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bob, like Bobby kept trying to like beat the shit out of the dead body. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like <sighs> Drew maybe didn't have as much empathy as he could have had he like been strapped to the tree also. Yeah. True. So he's no saint. Yeah. Best of us? I don't think so. Drew, piece of shit. <laughs> Would it make you feel better if I said that Drew's a piece of shit? Okay. Jesus. <laughs> Just murder that hillbilly. And make, yeah. I would have left him on the tree. Well, the uh, thing, too, is like if, if a court of law saw what had happened, very clearly they would be fine. Like, right. That was so easily self-defense. Yeah. If, if a real court of law. Yeah, exactly. That's, right. that's the question. I was like, like, they didn't do anything wrong. Right. They were li- like, they didn't do anything wrong. If somebody, if I walked up on somebody about to rape my best friend, I, and I had a gun, I would shoot that person. Ugh, that yeah. That scene is so <laughs> Yeah, we got to talk about that scene. Yeah, man. The, the, the extent in which they lingered on the entire, it was all in real time. And yeah. It was, all, it was no like. No cuts on that. It was like. There, were, there was no break. Yeah. It was in a beautiful two shot. I didn't, I didn't realize. And then was I went it? back to watch. Is Well, the two, there's a two shot, um, one single take of them, of like John Boyd him? and Ned Be- Beatty getting lured up. Into oh, the yeah. Right. So they're confronted and mm-hmm. it's a single frame and everybody, the four of them, the two hillbillies and John Voigt and Ned Beatty, they just keep going in and out of the frame until they push them up the hill. Oh, Cause wow. they keep trying to like leave the frame to go back to the boat. Like, exactly. Hey, we don't know what's going on here. Uh-huh. If you're selling whiskey and they're like, yeah. what do you know about whiskey? And then they get pushed back into the frame and like, it's really beautifully done. Uh-huh. Um, and they really linger on that moment right after the, the hillbillies speared. I mean, it's a long, oh, yeah. slow death. It's kind of probably what would happen. Like, uh, that somebody would probably die at that speed. Usually in movies, when you shoot somebody, they're dead, so you right. move on with the story. But, like, this, I think, took the... It was like an anatomical, like, like fact, facted, you know, yeah. thing. Which is horrifying to Anat- me. I just said anatomically facted for everybody <laughs> who didn't know. <laughs> It'll but work. yeah, exactly. Like, if, uh, yeah, that it was, was gruesome. I just watched... I remember just, like... I remember that moment of my jaw just dropped, and I was just taking it all in and disgusted. Now that's to me is like the most horrifying horror yeah. I can see. And, and just, how exhausted Ned Beatty's character was when they like before the sodomy, when he was just like riding him, when he was like riding him like a pig, making him squeal and then like pushing him up the hill and he was sliding down the hill with the leaves. And he was just like mm-hmm. panting for breath, like knowing what's about to happen. Not really knowing. Cause I don't think either one of them thought that it was going to get that crazy. Like right. maybe this guy just wants to ride me like a pig, but he was exhausted. And then when it finally happened, it was like he just was quiet into the 
leaves and it was like this is really uncomfortable brutal yeah what i thought was like truly amazing about that scene was like touched kind of what you were saying like there's you you see these people kind of like pretty sure it's not going to get like hoping it's not going to get that sure. bad and you watch in actual real time it devolve and you watch Ned Beatty's character like go from a human being to completely stripped of everything mm-hmm. and like turn into kind of an like an animal mm-hmm. like trying to get away and just yeah. like he's naked it's horrible watching it that to me is what that scene is is like watching it completely slowly 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 devolve into the horror that happened and not there's it they didn't like cut any time it was just exact uh yeah can i ask your guys opinion on something um it was wrong (laughs) (laughs) Uh, absolutely no but they they should have killed that guy yes of course uh no when john voight was strapped to the tree and the two hillbillies come up to him to like do him next. John Voigt has his corn cob pipe in his hand and in his mouth, and he keeps like holding it. He does. Yeah. And then when the like the guy who gets killed, the hillbilly gets murdered. I'm sorry if I keep using the word hillbilly, but they use it. So I'm just using the yeah. term from the movie. I could just call it I mean, yokel. I feel like these people. Is yokel better? You're allowed to call these people what yokel they did hillbilly. Yeah, true. I know. <laughs> We're not. Um, we need to show these men respect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> John Voight, like they're about to like cut the strap from his like ties. Mm-hmm. And he puts the pipe in his mouth as if it's just like he's about to take a puff. And the guy slaps it out of his face. And I was like, from an acting standpoint, good for that actor for just like slapping the pipe out of the, out of John Voight's like smug mouth. Like, what are you doing smoking a pipe right now? Your friend just got raped. Mm-hmm. What are you like? You're just chilling by the fire. You want Hugay with like a nice tangerine? <laughs> like, so funny. This I one's strawberry flavor. Like, get the fuck out of here. Do you think here. it was like a maintaining of dignity? Bit like he was like I, I I'm still a person right now I, I ha- this has not happened like this is I don't know it was a weird moment where like he would see him try to get out of like they kept cutting back to him to like get out of the the neck hold and then he would just sort of like pass out for a second that was like one thing I missed from that scene was like John Voight trying to do anything mm. but maybe I'm sure he was helpless and like he was trapped there but I guess like if he were to do anything they might do something worse to his friend, but like, get that pipe out of your mouth. What are you doing? <laughs> That's funny. I was about to say, well, it's it was just done really realistically because he probably couldn't have done anything. Sure, but I totally yeah. did not catch that pipe oh, moment. When he slapped it out, I was like, I felt I sided with the bad guy for a moment. It's like, get that pipe. You're 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 not treating this moment. It, it meant that John Voight wasn't taking those guys seriously. And if I was one of the, I, I'm not going to put myself in those people's shoes, yeah. but. Those yokels' shoes. <laughs> Those respectable southern gents. Oh. Uh, but I would have slapped the pipe out of his mouth, too. <laughs> you would have slapped it. I, I guess if I resonated were, with a lot of... the rapist, real villain. <laughs> nope. We're, we're going to cut that line. Out <laughs> no, thank you. No. So right. we have Marina Mitchell sitting here. Let's start over from the top. <laughs> no, welcome to the show. Um, no. Uh, that is... No, I, I mean, it's true. Like, I, I yeah. actually did notice the putting the pipe in back in his mouth thing. And like, yeah. I, I think I thought at the time, like, do you, do you remember, in, you remember in breaking bad when, have you seen breaking bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler. When Gus gets it and Gus's face blows off and he walks out and he yeah. adjusts his tie. Yeah. And falls. That's kind of like what I thought of in that Interesting. moment. Interesting. Cause and I was like, this is he, something terrible is about to happen to him. And he's just like, by almost nature, just going to like, uh, uh, 
a habitual a muscle thing, memory, a muscle kind of memory thing. thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think that's an interesting way to look at that. I mean, trying to preserve some sort of dignity and You're holding yeah. on for as long as he possibly mm-hmm. can until he knows what is about to happen happens. Yeah. I'll say though, John Voigt, woof, what a performance he gives in that entire movie. I I mean like like exactly I mean just his eyes and like I've never I've never seen a John Voigt performance like that before. Yeah. And just like his comp like and the desperation where he's looking at Lewis like please shoot this man. Yeah, yeah that was lovely. Yeah. My favorite John Voigt moment is um right kind of towards the end when he goes to that first dinner he's like lewis is in the hospital and he goes to dinner Mm -hmm. and they're sitting around the table and like he walks in and bobby's already there with everybody and he sits down and everybody offers him food and he starts to take it and then he starts sobbing just breakdowns and sobs and bobby looks at him and then just turns back to everyone just keep talking as if nothing ever happened sure yeah what did you think about that like why do you think that character did that like, why do you think he he wanted to completely, like, switch out of it, out of that mode? I mean, it, to me, it's, like, a very, like, seems like a southern genteel way of, like, we, mm. don't, we don't express yeah, ourselves in that way. And... Yeah, this didn't happen. Just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, sweep it. Sweep it under the rug. Yeah. It was an interesting juxtaposition of, like, because they were very, that was, they were southern folk as well, like, where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to, like, these were dignified people. These were, like human beings like that that were still from like a similar area similar region but like these were people who were like hospitable and like taking they were taking care right. of was it like a men. convalescent home or were they like getting healthier there it wasn't clear to I me make, i did not yeah i couldn't figure out what was going on it was i what i took was that they were still there dealing with the aftermath and right. it was and I took that it was like kind of just a family, like the locals that kind of took them in because these were victims of something that had just happened. Right. And, yeah. They seemed like they were more in like a central town, right? Yeah. As opposed to like the little mountain hick town right by the right. river. And mm-hmm. these were like some kind of kind townspeople. That's but not city folk, not like them. They were still there because they still had to deal with the investigation right. after and they were kind of taking care of Lewis. But wasn't the one of the guys, the guy that, um, I don't know if it was one that was murdered or the one that just didn't have teeth, but he was the brother-in-law of the uh, one of the cops. So, like, none of the people actually lived in the woods. They were all townspeople, but they just went to the woods. Remember the guy was like, my brother-in-law went out on a like, uh, fishing trip, hunting yeah. trip for three days ago, but we haven't heard from him. But that was the guy that they shot on top, or that he they got on the cliff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, was that... Yeah. But wasn't that the but that was the same guy? guy. It, was it was the same but guy. But he just had dentures. Was it the same guy? Because at first he saw his face and he saw teeth and we, we couldn't see that. And he was like, oh no. John Voight was on top of the hill and he just murdered someone with a, a bow and arrow. And Well, I think that, that what I took was that the, the teeth that were moving, the dentures, the, the other... The, the other guy didn't have those front two teeth, but this guy... Didn't have those front two teeth, but was had dentures to like fill them in that were like flapping like they were a, a ventriloquist dummy's mouth. Right. I was really confused about that moment, but if it wasn't him, if it wasn't the toothless man, then he's off and they've got to find him, right? Like if he ended up killing the brother-in-law and this guy happens to not be the toothless man, oh. then they still have a toothless man to worry about. The right? one who was part of the rape. Yes. The rape duo. Yeah. Right. That's, so wait, you thought that, they were the same that, person. Are you watching the Grammys this year? Uh, there's two new categories. There's the rap duo, <laughs> best new rap duo, and um, the, you fill in the blanks. You know where I'm going, and maybe we'll cut this because 
<laughs> this movie is making me say terrible things. <laughs> I guess. Marina, what have you chosen? <laughs> no, what have you chosen? Welcome to the show. Um, wait, so you thought that the, the you thought that those were the same two guys? I did because his John Voight's initial reaction was, "Oh no!" And then he like, we don't know what he's looking at, and it's like, "Oh no, maybe this wasn't the same guy." And then the camera just like pans around, and you see him like touching the teeth, which is gnarly as hell. Yeah. But like, I just presumed, okay, this guy has fake buck teeth that he puts in maybe like for an owl costume or something on the side of the road. I, I Yeah, I was wondering what the significance of the teeth were. I thought it was I that guess guy. I just thought that they looked totally different. Did you, are they, do you think they're the same person? I th- now I do. You do? Now I do. I was confused about it, but I, I think that you're right about the teeth moment. I think yeah. that seeing that they were dentures that they were moving is connecting the two. Because he then felt relief. I mean, it looked he like did he feel felt relief. relief. Yeah. And then he buried, you know, he buried them. They, like they seemed to no longer be worried that there was another guy on the list. Exactly. Loose. Yeah. He dropped that body in the water. I th- okay, because what I took was like they just murdered this random innocent hunter man, and that's like even more in the depths of hell that they were like finding themselves into, and then the guilt was taking over, and like that. I took that this was just like uh, that they thought it was the guy, but but they were going kind of crazy, and and they, John Voight went through all this trouble to like protect themselves. But it was really just probably just a hunter guy that he murdered. But then why would the hunter guy? Because that hunter guy that was up there, mm-hmm. that if it's possibly not the toothless guy, and they think that that guy killed Drew, which he did not. True, right? He didn't get shot. So Drew just jumped, and then Lewis. I think they didn't maybe, know that at that point. They didn't though. know that. Well, they wanted to believe sure something, but they did inspect his body as if they. They really believed that maybe he was shot. Once they found it, yeah. right? But did they find it only at the end? They found it after that. They found it when they went back. They went like back up river, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, after to... the mountain killing the random guy. Exactly. And his arm was behind his head, which, fun fact, Ronnie Cox, crazy double jointed. That's, That's his oh, actual I was, arm. I wanted to ask about that. I his was... actual arm. Gross. And he so told I... the director, he's like, I can do this. I think it would be crazy if like the water, like the rapids made... My body do oh. this so he can. I thought it was a prosthetic, but it's his real arm. Well, what it w- was flying what was crazy to me was watching that scene. I I said to Jackie, my wife, I was like, th- "How did they do that? Because that is not a fake man. Like that is a real face, real man." And I can't see where his real arm would be right yeah. now. Ugh. And I, I was like, "That is insane." It was special like in effects. the log. That would be a cool move too. If it was like real That's arm was in the yeah. log, but you see them like take him and move him. Yeah, yeah and, and it it it, it stays. It fl- It floats away. His arm just like comes out of that position. Oh, does it? Okay. So it's like it looks like a real arm, and it was. Yeah, that's that blows my mind. Disgusting. Because I thought for sure that was like really good special effects or some prosthetic situation. Well, I also read that they like did most of their own stunts. Yeah, they did all. Like, I think all of their own. Isn't all that their own ridiculous? Stunts. There was no budget for this movie. Yeah, to hire. they didn't have insurance. They, they did not have insurance. have insurance. That is insane. Yeah, of all the movies to not have insurance on. Yeah, how did they? How have you that, have you ever been uh, rafting or like going through the rapids? Mm-mm. Have you got have you done it? Like in camp, like yeah. Like a I wanted to, but after this movie, I'm not so sure. <laughs> it's it's one of the most. I used to do it a lot in camp. Also, I used to love canoeing. I used to love kayaking. Just like all things boating, were like my favorite thing to do. And like if I whenever whenever I went to camp, it was like as soon as like I got there, I would go down to the water, and you have to like pass a test each summer just to like qualified to mm-hmm. go into the boats and I would just like do it as soon as I got there it's because I was like on the water the entire time <laughs> and we would go on trips or little expeditions through the rapids and it's the most fun thing possible this was crazy in this movie like what they 
showed, but it's not that terrifying. It's much more manageable when you're actually there. Mm. And like, I think the film does an amazing job making that look terrifying. And the actors did like an amazing job making it look like when they were just like flying through and then like seeing the bone coming out of Burt yeah. Reynolds. I was just gonna leg. say that. Was like, that part was so disgusting there was too. Like flesh yeah. hanging too, yeah. right? It wasn't yeah. just hard. It was like soft. It was brutal. Yeah. I and think it was a right. lamb's bone that I they was... stuck to his leg. A what? It was a lamb's bone. Oh, amazing. That they just like stuck out of his pants. So amazing. good. And I was like, I was watching this movie feeling like a visceral thrill of watching a movie now. Like yeah. of them going through the rapids. So like, much fun. It was it was a thrilling movie, like yeah. so much more than I would have expected from something that came out 40 plus years ago. I agree. Uh, now, I mean, yeah. that's what I love so much about this movie. Yeah. And what I think that I, that's really what I take away from this movie is that it was shot in such a dynamic way to really give you this visceral experience of yeah. not only um, rafting down the river, but like driving down to the river. Do you remember that scene? Oh, man. Beautiful. You yeah. felt like yeah. you were going to hit your head yeah. just yeah. watching that. And just Burt Reynolds just like just come, just testosterone fuming out of his face. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I, I've never had insurance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> just like, take it easy, man. What do you yeah. mean you've never had insurance? I don't believe in insurance. Like, that's an inherently stupid thing to but say. But even then, digging the grave, like every bit yeah. of it was right. to, to give you this visceral experience. And it was also so slow. Yeah. And just like, that... Drew, who's digging just like the grave, out. yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Gosh, every part of it. So that that's really what I take away from this movie is that like they just did a beautiful job giving you this visceral experience yeah. of this whole trip for these men. The yeah. sound of it. I mean, the sound of the rapids, which is like supposed to be a calming thing, but it just like freaks you out because mm-hmm. it's just like relentless. Yeah. yeah. And like, do you remember the shot of the river, the first shot? Like, it's almost like when they're driving and it's like they're going through all those brush and he stops and he hears the water and they kind of have to like climb up a little hill. And it's the shot is like oh, yeah. through some like brush and he mm-hmm. pulls it away, pulls yeah. it away. And it's this like introduction to this, not to sound like a, I hate this, but like a character. Like, it was like such yeah. a reveal. Like, here is the shit that they're about to like embark upon yeah it was that a, was a really cool it was a shot. cool reveal and not just yeah i loved that and i love that it wasn't like an open space like the river starts here here's right. a sign like they had to find it and it was it was not a thing that people do right clearly oh right he like went off the path yeah. and they're like the- this isn't like a this isn't like a tourist this isn't like a, a a river that like most people go down this is like something that that lewis heard about or read about or saw and was just like, we're going to do it. We're going to conquer it. You know? Yeah. The stakes of the movie were really good. I mean, in the sense that like they set that up consistently, right. In the, in the beginning is that he had to go around and ask for somebody to drive down their cars to meet them at, because no one, there's like no landing there. Nobody Mm -hmm. else would do it. He had to go to, he had to make like two or three stops to find someone who would do it. Oh, that mechanic was just like 500, but it was like 50 bucks, whatever. I'm surprised that they didn't come at the end. That's what I was convinced. As soon as that moment happened when they offer the mechanic money and he agrees, you keep, John Voight keeps eyeing them. And so I was convinced that like they're going to find him at the end of the river and murder them. What was cool, that's actually kind of what I liked is that they just did their job. They drove the cars there. When when they showed the cars there, I loved that shot because I was like, First of all, it was such a relief, but it was also such a surprise that like, oh, these are guys that just took the money and did what they were asked. And like, these are just normal kind of guys that are from this area. It reminds me of the hardworking ethic of the people of Jackson Heights. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, let's talk a little bit more about Jackson Heights because I think we, there's not enough about about the good, good, kind people. Just like efficient, good people. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I, I thought that was a, it was almost a twist in how it worked out at the end with these like, because they set up these characters totally. with these people and like, yeah. then you see the kind of people they are through the, the rapists and then you're like, oh, these were just guys that were kind of like, you know, locals. Yeah. yeah. They're just doing their, doing their job. Yeah. What do you call that in storytelling? Is it a MacGuffin or something when you're set up? Yeah, you're supposed to think that it's like something like some, it's supposed to be something, but then it just like ends up not being. I think it is a MacGuffin. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's not, then that's a great name for it. <laughs> I don't know what it's. I thought a MacGuffin was an object that well, sort of like it's planted there, making yeah, yeah, you think something. I thought it was like an object that moves the the plot forward. A MacGuffin. Like the rabbit's foot in Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> I thought, but what's the term then? I thought that the MacGuffin, there's like a term for something that is just a plant and then it's it actually totally maybe, misleads Maybe you. it's a broader term than what I'm thinking. Maybe you're right. Like it could just be, yeah, something that sets, that's like there for like, you're supposed to just focus on it, focus on it, and then it kind of like changes. Right. Yeah. Ends up being a misleading device. Totally. Yeah. Which is like the kid on the bridge with the banjo. Yeah. Like he had nothing to do with it. Well, he just set a scary tone, totally. right? I mean, yeah. all of those characters in the beginning just set us up worried for what was going to happen to these men on the river. Uh, and I, I guess I thought that it was going to be something totally different, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I expected the river to fuck them up because they were so convinced that they could hack it, even though Concrete, everybody yeah. kept telling them that they couldn't. But, you know, uh, yeah, the last thing I expected was um, for these hillbillies to assault them mm-hmm. on did a riverbank. Well, did you know... Did you know going into this movie that that's like the big scene of the movie? Well, I knew like I knew about the squeal like a pig mm-hmm. and yeah. and the male rape, but like I didn't put it to get you know I was trying to track the the mechanic, sure. yeah. So I didn't really think like no, I had no idea that that was going to happen when it did. And the yeah, like the and I was thinking too, like the cultural impact of this movie is so like this the right squeal like a pig comes kind of from yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. He's got a pretty mouth comes from this movie, yeah. Mm. The which theme is, song, the, 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 yeah, which just like that elicits me, a response, and, yeah. And, and that music now encapsulates that vibe of of hillbilly, like when yeah. you're trying to like if that song is playing, you you know that, and whether it be satire or anything, yeah. that like this is making fun of these types of. If that song plays, you just look around quickly, and right? Just make sure <laughs> that you get your bow and arrow, and you just go into the corner. That's yeah. I mean, I can you talk about this movie without talking about this rape scene? I don't think you can. I mean, I feel like that's the centerpiece of the movie. And that's first. I I mean, first of all, I think it's such a huge scene in film, just the way that it was shot, kind of how we talked about it. But it certainly sets the course for their like the plot completely. Yeah. Burt Reynolds put, gives out such a performance in this movie. Like, we have to talk a little bit about Burt Reynolds and Nick's relationship with uh-oh. him. <laughs> Tell us. I was from Ju- I'm from Jupiter, Florida, which okay. is where Burt Reynolds um, lived. That was his hometown. Had his museum devoted to himself. Oh, wow. Called the Burt Reynolds and Friends Museum, <laughs> in which you can all the lo- Jupiter folk would go, and it was just all of his awards and memorabilia from all his movies. It was really cool. So I was in like, um, I was this junior in high school and he so Burt Reynolds is a, was was a very big outreach guy. He loved to teach. He loved to like give towards like the arts and that kind of a cool. thing. He was really really big and the community actually loved him. He was always around doing stuff. He did plays, all that. He didn't do plays, he put them up. But he uh so I I did this this class that he taught him an acting class and and he was my teacher for like I don't know, it was like a 10 week thing and like I was the very first person to get up and do a monologue that I had. Per- I mean, the amount, the the nerve. I was so nervous. What was the monologue? Oh, I can't remember. It was one of the ones I had in high school. That I just like whipped <laughs> out. I can't remember which one it was. But the I 
I, I, I was like, I felt prepared. I wanted to put a stake in the ground and be like, I'm the good actor of the class. You know what I mean? I was like 17. So he was like, all right. And like Burt Reynolds, by the way, comes out in sunglasses, indoors, and chewing gum. Like exactly of Norm, uh. Norm McDonald's impression of Burt Reynolds is Burt Reynolds. <laughs> like like to the T. The, the man is just like that. And he's charming and he's funny. He's very funny. But he's so very clearly rich and famous. Like he, you, it's exactly, he's a movie star that got older. Like it's exactly that. Um so I got up there and he's like, all right, you go, go, go ahead. And I sit down and do the monologue and I'm sitting in a chair for the monologue. And he kind of like <laughs> the man gets up from the back of the room. He's still chewing his gum and he has his notepad and he throws it down on his chair and he like slowly walks over to me and he stands directly in front of me and just winds back with his hand and slaps me across the face really hard. <laughs> and I was what? and I go and I look at him and he goes, have a seat. <laughs> What? And I was completely taken aback, and I, uh, I was, I was, ta- I thought, I, how bad of an actor am I that this man? So, I, so, I, and then the rest of the people go up, and like he gives normal notes to them. So at the end of the day, his like, I, I call this guy like a crony because he kind of was. He like was this short little man that like was Burt Reynolds' like assistant or whatever, and he like comes up to me and he goes, "Oh my god, oh my god!" I've, but you must have, you must have seriously impressed Burt. He never slaps people. That's amazing. And I was like, "Wait, was this like this Lewis?" He was like being Lewis. It was like his alpha male way of like saying good job to me. And it was hysterical. And so then like cut to like three years later, I went to Florida State and he went to Florida State. So he came and did a whole semester of acting for film. So he taught a whole, he was our our professor for an entire semester. He does stuff like that. It was really cool. So he, I'm telling the class before he came in this story. I'm like, Burt Reynolds slapped me in the face like three years ago. And they're like, that's crazy. Did he, did he slap you in the face? Like nobody believes you. No one believes you. Yeah. So he walks in. He's doing his introduction. He stops and he looks at this random kid in the class and he goes, uh, hey, what's your name? The kid goes, uh, Chris. And he goes, Chris. Slaps Chris <laughs> hard in the face. People were like, and then everybody was looking around like this moment of like, oh my God, you're right. Yeah, Nick he, was telling the truth. Was this Myrtle just slaps people. And then like a couple of years later, he got sued by a reporter for slapping a reporter in the face for not have, having seen the original Longest Yard movie or whatever. So he is a man... Like I feel like he was Lewis. Like he, he's very so touchy. Funny. That shit doesn't fly anymore. No, it doesn't. Way. No, he went around slapping people in the face just like to say like, yeah, good job. <laughs> I'm Burt Reynolds. Like, uh, amazing. Well, what's what the frustrating part of that story to me is that I thought you, I thought that was like his way of telling you a good job until he slapped fucking Chris in the face and he well, didn't know never what even right. perform. Yeah, you're right. I didn't just think of that, man. Yeah, it wasn't a good actor. <laughs> that is such a funny story. I know. Shaped by Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds, like, yeah. And I, he was just a lovely man. I mean, can, what did you learn from that? Uh, from that? No, I learned that that's a weird, like, a... old-fashioned way of telling a man, good job. Ugh. And whenever, whenever David does something cool or awesome, I yeah. slap him hard in the face. I'm like, that's what Burt taught me. <laughs> Wow. I haven't gotten it today from this podcast. I have not done a great job. Well, well the podcast we'll isn't over yet. It's not yeah. over yet. <laughs> I may still get a slap. I will say really, really quick, one story that he told. He used to tell these like stories of the old days. Yeah. He talked about Sally Field endlessly. She's and amazing. Talked about how much he was basically still in love with Sally Field for his entire life. That's sweet. Yeah. Anyway, Sally Field's book, by the way, just came out saying that he like was completely toxic and terrible. Sounds about right. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> Probably slapped her. Anyway, um, it's yeah. terrible. So he told us this one story about uh, he and Clint Eastwood worked with this like common direct this director at one point and they hated him. They thought this director was like this terrible person. So like years later, this director dies. 
Clint Eastwood calls Burt Reynolds at two o'clock in the morning, completely wasted, and goes, "Hey, did you hear so and so just died? He was buried a couple days ago. You want to go to the cemetery?" So he and Burt Reynolds go to the Clint Eastwood. Burt Reynolds get drunk. Go to drive to the cemetery and piss on this director's <gasps> grave. Uh, <laughs> come on, talk about toxic masculinity. <laughs> just tells us this story. I was like, I can't believe there's a world that exists that is reality in which at one point Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds were alone in a cemetery peeing on a grave together. And he's telling a room full of oh, students, seventeen-year-olds. Seven. This was the first class. We were all like in high school. This is not technique. This right. is like how to be right. a shit. I mean, this exactly. is why we did the class. Are you kidding me? I didn't. Oh yeah. Anyway. There's my little sidetrack about that cemetery scene. Speaking of cemeteries, the cemetery scene in the end of the movie when they're just digging up all the graves. I loved that scene. Wow. That's like a scene that I wanted there to be a spinoff of that yeah, scene. Yeah. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. I What's forgot about on? that until you brought that up. And I remember watching it and feeling so affected by that. Yeah. Like, does that happen everywhere in real I had life? A, I, I asked that to somebody recently and they were like, no, but you know, it's is it called exhuming a body when you take it out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was asking that because I'm convinced that there like can't be enough space There's on this land. earth for... Yeah. All of our fucking graves. Yeah. And so I asked that of somebody and they were like, hell no. But I think that that's actually what they do. I think it also will be the wave of the future. I'm just like either vertical burial or. Yeah. Well, they have mausoleums. Yeah. 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 But like to just like have sprawling cemeteries is a huge waste of space. And seeing that scene in the movie sort of confirmed that like maybe this not confirmed, but like tickled that thought of maybe they do this. Yeah, I think they do. That was also sad and creepy. I mean, the movie overall was really horrific in amazing ways i mean and also probably my favorite shot of the movie is just the bloated hand at the end Mm -hmm. coming out of rising out of the lake yeah i have a scene i don't well i don't even know that i'm gonna write this in but what so the movie that i'm working now one of my like first images that i kept thinking about was of a bloated foot of somebody like who had um their foot like their leg removed and i just kept thinking Mm. of seeing this like bloated foot (laughs) which reminds me of that scene yeah that's like somehow subconsciously i think i think that that image is really popular yeah in film don't you think yeah Yeah. because they also don't even show whose hand that is yeah it doesn't matter yeah it is like a trope and i wonder how like the whole like dreaming and then waking up and being like the end of something and i wonder how early of a trope that that scene was yeah do you know what i mean i think it was pretty early on probably i think i read that they shot a different ending yeah to the film in which instead of that nightmare i don't know if it's a nightmare or not but instead of the hand coming up out of the lake they bump into the sheriff and the sheriff says that they found a body oh wow and then they don't show which body it was oh interesting sheriff played by the writer james dickey what a creep yeah who apparently got kicked off set because he was a creep yeah got into a fist fight with the director on set and then they made up and he got cast as the chef. Right. The sheriff but like this is also kind of the theme of the movie, right? Is that it's like this hyper masculine, yeah, yeah. all male cast. Yeah. Really kind of like dick swinging type. Yeah. Could you imagine bravado. what the set would be like for a movie like this? With all those actors. Also who John Voight, let's not be like John Voight is a straight up like alpha type totally. of character sure. too. And then Burt Reynolds on set. This apparently like ridiculous writer on set. Yeah. Uh, oh God, Do you feel like this nightmare. movie would get made today? I'm not sure. I thought about that for a little bit, but like, I think it's a style of movie making that we don't make anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of the quality of drama and like the moral mm-hmm. questioning and the quality of acting, 
but I mean, can you get him? Can you get such a hyper masculine movie like this made anymore without? I think not without like comments. Like it would have to be something like The Wolf of Wall Street, right? Which is like sure. obviously a comment on hyper masculinity yeah. about like how it's toxic. Mm-hmm. Being blindly masculine in the beginning without a backstory, without even knowing what their jobs are. Like right. to give some context, it seems like it might not yeah. fly. Also, I mean, it's like, an all white, all male movie. True. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox were complete unknowns at the mm-hmm. time. Mm. So like that, like if you were to remake this movie, let's say, would it be Jonah Hill like in Ned Beatty's part? Not to yeah, be like yeah. so mm. physical in the and like yeah, casting, and, and but I can see like Michael Sarah's like the, the it's let's just, just super do a super bad, bad reunion. <laughs> but you can't remake this movie. Let's no, 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 no. and make Hopefully Emma Stone yeah. the Lewis character. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, I'd love to see a girls trip version yes, of this. Yeah. Oh Paul Feig directs the all female reboot of Deliverance. <laughs> but I will say like that is oh, one of the, oh. the things. That's sorry actually to not right. That's terrifying. <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to make Biophilia was because I feel like these stories are traditionally male stories, mm-hmm. right? Of mm-hmm. like a character going into the wild. I mean, the only like there's just a handful of female versions of that, like wild. Yeah. You know, but right. if we were to remake it, yeah, I'd want to see it with a totally. bunch of women. Yeah, for sure. Not not just for the sake of it, but because we don't have those stories and like totally. ultimately yeah. everybody, it's not man versus nature, it's Human versus yeah, nature. That's not just men that go drafting. Do you think that that scene, the horrible rape scene, could ex that type of scene could exist in movies today, or are we at a point where like that would get too much pushback on like like Do you think that are, do movies come out like that anymore? Where those scenes that are that visceral and that like brutal of rape? I feel like not American films. Yeah, I wish they did. I mean, yeah. I wish they did because it's done really well mm-hmm. and slowly and authentically and. Um, but no, I, I, I agree. Definitely not American movies, but I can't necessarily point to another non-American movie that recently handled yeah. it in the same way. I mean, I'm thinking like Irreversible, which was like 20 years ago in like France. But I mean, we also didn't mention this, but you're uh, originally from Israel. Did we talk about this at all? No. So you have an even more rounded exposure to film as well growing up. I, just speaking on this point, I feel like other cultures, other countries may feel more comfortable incorporating stuff like this in their films than we do here where it's more about like selling soap and selling yeah. beer yeah. alongside the film. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to that. I mean, I do have, I, I was born in Israel. So yeah. my parents, I was fed like a steady diet of European and world cinema growing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the time I was like 12, got really into like I mean, early 90s movies, Scream and whatever mm-hmm. was playing sure. at the mall. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of my taste is a real mix of like the slow poetry of art house cinema. Plus, yeah. Yeah. like I think Amer- I think Americans make really great genre, sure. r- really thrilling, mm-hmm. accessible genre films. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think that I'd want to marry those two. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um, Which is what this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of is exactly that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. very beautifully poetic mm-hmm. in times still and moments and then alternately like thrilling and gross. Yeah. Um, but it's also I also think that that background, like gr- growing up in Israel and not being American um, is what attracted me to this movie, because the other to me growing up was like this southern hillbilly oh wow. you know like i grew oh, up in cities to me that that's like an idea of america that seemed so foreign and so romantic to me mm. like f- from being i just remember being like 12 and interested in like 
William Faulkner and these weird, mm. you know, dark, grotesque Southern stories. Yeah. Because it seemed as far from anything I could imagine. That's interesting. There's this comedian, I can't remember who, what his name is, but he talks about how he like, he's a British comedian and he like took a trip in the South and like went to this like little convenience store and there's this little old woman and she starts talking about how much she like can't stand black people. And his response was just like, oh my God, it's like a real life bigot. Like he was like tickled. He was oh, just I've like, seen it's a bigot. Like this is exactly, I've seen, I've read about these people. <laughs> like He wasn't offended funny. at all. He was just like, it was like watching a movie for him. Yeah. Right. It's like being in safari. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at that bigot. <laughs> That's funny. Should we cut to our, like our resident film? Oh yeah. So we are very lucky this yeah. week to have uh, our resident film expert. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's in Dubai right now. Right. What is the uh, thing she's working on again? She's doing, it's like a Ted conference on film. Oh, okay. Uh, just like as a resident film expert. Mm-hmm. Um, Marina, I'm not sure if you know who uh, we're speaking of, but it's Leah Rudick, and she's just like, again, uh, we can't say enough about her. She's just seen every single classic film and just has such insightful stuff to share with us. Um, yeah. She's done classes specifically on Deliverance. Like, she's taught classes on Deliverance. Yeah. Like, this is a, a pinnacle movie for her, because when she went on to make movies like... Was it at Penn State? Do you have the class? In the Wharton Business School? Or is it Penn just Station? Like Penn Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does it in Penn Station and Penn State. Oh, Penn State as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the, people can't get enough of it. Like, Penn Station call yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Penn Station. stop her on the train and be like, I'm sorry, I was in a class with you and this was just like a transcendent speech. Right, yeah. Uh, she's also in the IATSE Cinematographers Union. She's mm-hmm. in SAG. She's in... Uh, a uh, member of BAFTA. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. You guys are really lucky to have her. Really like. lucky. So lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so we just wanted to just fact check and get her insight on the film and just learn a little bit. So, Leah, thanks for being with us. Let's hear what you have to say. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here with your movie minute. I'm Sandy Kenyon. Just kidding. My name is Leah Rudick, and I am the film buff. Hey, I am very excited to be talking about Deliverance, a very hard movie to watch. Deliverance is about four men who go into the woods and when they come back out, they are different. It is a very funny film starring the one and only Shirley Temple. Deliverance was Shirley Temple's first film and... It takes place in the Smoky Mountains at the turn of the century. Also, it stars Jackie Chan and Martin Lawrence and Martin Sheen and David Spade. It was in black and white. It is also a musical. It was before she learned how to tap dance. So that makes it a little tricky because there's that entire tap dance sequence towards the end. But you'll notice if you you watch the film that there are... A lot of cutaways where it cuts back to Shirley Temple's mom, who's played by um, David Spade, miming the dance along with her, sort of along the lines of what we've seen in baby beauty pageants, where the mom is on the other side, sort of doing the moves for for the kid. Um, that was actually the first time that we we saw that trope in cinema. And it's not a comedy, even though it was sort of marketed that way. Um, if you have seen the trailer, you know that there's a lot of pratfalls, a lot of, you know, funny bits with the bear. Yes, David Spade is killed, but it's his own fault. And you don't really feel sad when it happens in the film. But it's really, it's not a comedy at all. And 
the bear, it's interesting. It was the first time that CGI was ever used on film. So there's obviously a learning curve and obviously the technology has come so far. But they do a lot of great green screen work in the film, a lot of great CGI. And really the acting is superb all around. Look, see the film. Wow. Wow. That <laughs> it's so weird when you don't even have it. I, I can't believe I can't believe it. First of all, I can't believe I missed all that. I missed a lot of that. Yeah. God, she's smart. Because like I thought for a second that we had it for the most part understood. But yeah. there's all these obviously a lot going on undertones of this movie that Leah was able to like really bring to light. She's probably seen special cuts of it too. John Borman, I think, was a personal friend of hers. So I think wow. she personal friend. Saw, yeah. She, I think she might have been on some of the edit sessions. I but. can't believe she taught a class in that. Yeah. 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 She went on to huh? I mean, I'm just very very grateful we were able to have yeah, her. Yeah, thanks, Leah. Thank you, Leah. Do we have any uh, fun spinoff characters that we'd like to, you know, if there was a spinoff of this movie, let's just give this person a shot and have their own story. Any thoughts? Well, I'm not sure it's a movie I'd like to see, but that banjo that banjo boy deserves a horror movie of his own. Sure. So, I would, I think, a rom-com for this man. <laughs> <laughs> How would you not go see that movie? That same actor totally. portraying the same character in in New York City trying to find himself Holy uh, shit. a gal or guy. Yeah. Or even like an episode of Queer Eye where he's just like <sighs> the subject. You know, it's a really creepy thing I heard about that boy is that apparently he didn't know how to play the banjo it, and that it's somebody else's Somebody's arms. arm. Oh, that's I really mean, that's gnarly. just another creepy aspect of this movie. Can I you imagine? I was blown away reading that. Yeah. And that's probably why he's just like so, he's so weird. Still and, and weird yeah, and able to Dead eyed. Like, yeah. Because I, I was like, how do they find this kid who can play like this? Who looks like that? <laughs> what a and casting They, they literally miracle. found the creepiest kid they could find (laughs) and just stuck him in and made it work i also read that like he really loved did you read this like he really loved ronnie cox the kid yeah and so like couldn't help but smile to him and like loved like just like interacting with him but they needed him to be like upset with him at the end and like turn his head but they couldn't get him to do it because he just like truly loved ronnie cox and like this guy makes me feel happy so but he really hated ned Beatty. So in oh that gosh. shot, Ned Beatty actually like approaches the boy and that's when he like couldn't help but like look away because he genuinely hated Ned Beatty. So How like weird. you see Ronnie Cox going, but like Ned Beatty also walks and he's turning away from Ned Beatty because he loathed Ned Beatty. That which is really funny. Well, that's good directing <laughs> is making it work. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Another funny little thing I didn't bring up is that. I remember the whole movie, I was like, wow, this is so authentic. It's so visceral. And then when it came time for John Voight to climb the mountain, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. this is bullshit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is so poorly done. It's so dark. I can't. And then I read it and he actually climbed yeah. that mountain. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I did. I, that <laughs> so, same experience whoops. happened to me where I was just like, that background's not real. What is this? On a set somewhere? It's so nope. dark. You can't even see what's That's going on poor over here. John Voight with like just climbing a mountain. No production insurance. I can't believe it. It's crazy. His poor wallet. He lost his wallet. Um. <laughs> That's the worst thing that happened in this yeah. movie. <laughs> oh my God, that moment? Come on. When he's just like at the top of the cliff and he's like, let me just reach out for my wallet and flip it yeah. open. See that Fuck part. Fuck you, that movie part. making. <laughs> That's how I felt. I was like, really? Yeah. He's, he's just climbed this cliff. He's barely hanging on and he's going to flip the wallet, check on the picture of his wife and kid. And scream like, You're right. damn you, Gorge. Gorge. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes. What did he say? He said something like, you never get, you'll never get out of this gorge alive. Yeah, that's, it was like, 
everything's been great up until now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think that kind of wraps her on up. Yeah, this great. has been fantastic. Yeah, what a great talk. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks um, for coming on. Yeah, we're so excited to see Biophilia, mm-hmm. and you're working on another film, another short called The Female Diet, which is horror, horrifying-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biophilia should be... Uh, online soon yeah. uh and i'm working on a short horror film called the female diet that's a proof of concept for a feature cool. that is about like a grieving woman who grows increasingly sick and finds herself caught up in a wellness scheme that might just cost her her life awesome wow, wow. that's brilliant i love that that sounds cool thanks oh. yeah uh thanks for coming yeah Nick. anytime great job david marina great job thank you everybody did great We're all who's great. getting slapped across the face oh no I haven't done a good enough job. (laughs) Uh, Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.